Well, we're at Palm Sunday. Next week is Easter, a very, very special time. We think uh, that that's one of the most important days of the year, one of the most important days in our lives as we honor the, the Lord Jesus and what he did for us. The title of uh, my message today is What Easter Means. If you have your Bible, if you'd turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning in the middle of verse 3. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the scriptures, and that he was seen by Cephas, and then by the twelve. After that, he was seen over by 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to this day, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, and then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also, as by one born out of due time. You know, we think that everybody uh, understands all about Easter. And some people don't. They don't have the foggiest idea what it's all about. They know it's one of the Christian holidays, but they really don't know what it means or what it's trying to get across to us. Uh, The ramifications of it, of course, are very, very important. But a lot of people don't understand Easter at all. A man moved to a small town in Alabama, and he didn't know a single person there. He had a desire for two things in his heart. He said, I need to find three guys that I can play golf with. That's very, very important to me, and I need to find them. And then I need, secondly, I need a good church. And so he thought, well, I'll just do what I can to make these two things come true. Well, he went out to the golf course a few days later, and there just happened to be three guys standing there waiting on a fourth to come, and they invited him to be a part of their group. So he jumped in right away and got to be friends with them. They talked all the way through 18 holes, and he thought, this is wonderful, just wonderful. He said, I never thought I would find three friends this quickly, but here they are. Now, the other thing I need is a good church. That's the only thing I need. He said, you know what I think I'll do? I think I will talk to all three of these guys separately by themselves. And the one that gives me the best definition about what Easter really is, I'll go to their church. That's the church that I'll attend. Well, he was uh, going through... uh, his thoughts about what he was going to say to these guys about that. But uh, he decided, well, okay, since it's Easter time, this question is going to go to them, and they'll just, I guess, do their best. He asked the first guy, who was a Methodist, to explain Easter. The Methodist layman said, well, you have an Easter egg hunt, and the little eggs represent new life, and it's really a wonderful time. The man thought, uh, this guy doesn't have a clue, not a clue, what Easter is about, what Easter means. The next guy he got off by himself was a Presbyterian layman. 
And when he got alone with the man, he asked the Presbyterian, could you explain to me just exactly what Easter is all about? The Presbyterian said, well, you have a lot of rabbits. And the rabbits are kind of jumping around, and they're so cute, and everybody likes that. And the rabbits just hop all around. They spread good cheer to everybody. Everybody loves rabbits. And, of course, it's also the beginning of spring. The man thought once again, this guy doesn't have a clue. He doesn't know anything about Easter. He doesn't know what Easter is at all. The last fellow he approached was a Baptist. And so the man asked the Baptist to explain Easter. The Baptist layman said, well, there's a grave. And the man said, yes, that's right. There was. There was a grave. What else? What else? The man said, well, the Baptist said, uh, the man came up out of the grave. And the man said, that is great. You're doing great. Is there anything else that you can say about Easter? Well, yes, there is, uh, the Baptist layman said. Uh, the man, when he came up out of the grave, he saw his shadow. So it meant six more <laughs> weeks of winter. <clears throat> I want to talk with you today about what Easter really means, really means. Often we see Easter from only one perspective. We think of Easter as a celebration of a past event, something that happened a long, long time ago. But Easter is much more than that. Easter is a past event with present-day ramifications that produce future expectations. I want us to understand all three dimensions uh, related to the Easter event. Easter is, first of all, about something that has happened. It is past tense. Paul summarized what happened in the opening verse of our text today. Jesus died, Jesus was buried, and on the third day, Jesus was raised from the dead. In verses 3 and 4, the proclamation of Easter is that Jesus came into history and lived among us and facing everything that we face, even death. However, death could not hold Jesus. On the third day, death was transformed into life. What does this proclamation tell us about Jesus? First, the resurrection of Jesus validates what he said. Jesus had predicted to the disciples that he would be raised from the dead on the third day. Mark 9 says, For he was teaching his disciples and telling them, The Son of Man is to be delivered into the hands of men, and those men will kill him. And when he has been killed, he will be buried and he will rise Three days later. This was a remarkable prediction. Just remarkable. A prediction so profound that it just slipped right by the disciples. They didn't understand it. They didn't know what that meant. So they just moved on to the next thing. Yet it was a prediction that Jesus clearly made. On that first Easter morning when Jesus fulfilled the remarkable prediction that he had made, Jesus did exactly what he said he would do. Easter proclaims to the world, if you want to know the truth, 
turn to the one whom even death could not hold down. The resurrection of Jesus also verifies who he is. The first disciples struggled with Jesus' identity. They knew him first as a man like any other man. They thought, well, he's a nice guy, he's a friendly guy. But the more they were around him, they realized that he was, in fact, very different from any other man that they had ever known. They used terms like rabbi and prophet, and one or two of them began to say, I think you are the Messiah. They sensed that Jesus had a unique relationship to God the Father and that he was indeed the fulfillment of God's promises to Israel. The resurrection verified he was, in fact, God himself manifest in human form. After the resurrection, Jesus appeared to all of the disciples. Thomas was not there. When the disciples told him about Jesus being alive, Thomas interrupted them and said, You know, I'm not going to believe that. I saw him die. He's dead. He can't live again. He said, I would never believe that unless I could put my hand in his side where that great wound was. Unless I could see the nail-scarred hands where the nails went through to the cross. Until I see those things, till I touch that wound, I will not believe. The next week, Jesus appeared to the whole group again. Thomas was present. Jesus invited Thomas to come up and to put his hand in his side. He said, come up, touch my hands. See the hole where the nails went through. Thomas didn't need to do all of that. Just seeing the resurrected Christ was sufficient. Thomas fell to his knees before Jesus and cried out, My Lord and my God in John 20, 28. Don't go through this Easter season and miss this basic proclamation. Easter is about an event in the past so significant that it has never been repeated in all the history of mankind. It validates what Jesus said, and it verifies who Jesus is. Secondly, Easter is also about something that is present. It's happening. In the present tense, on that first Easter, Jesus not only defeated death, He became a living presence. Paul described the first believers who experienced this living experience. He mentioned Peter and then the twelve in verse 5. He mentioned the 500 on the mountain in verse 6. This wasn't just two or three religious nuts. This wasn't just a group of people that had been hypnotized. It was 500 people that knew and believed that this was the risen Christ. They saw his hands. They saw his side. They had watched him die. They knew that this was the Messiah. This was the Son of Almighty God. And then he mentioned James, Jesus' brother, 
in verse 7. And finally, he mentioned himself in verse 8. For he too had seen the living Christ on the Damascus road. The empty tomb tells us that Jesus is no longer dead. The appearances declare that Jesus is in fact alive. Jesus is a living presence who will be with every one of us until the end of time. We are never, ever going to be alone. So many times in my ministry, I go out to homes and someone will say to me, you know, I'm so alone. My husband died or my wife died and I am so alone. I just can't hardly stand it. And I always say to them, you're not alone. You are not alone one moment of your life. For the risen Christ is with you. He loves you. He gave his life for you. And he is with you in this very hour and every hour that will follow. Jesus is a living presence who will be with every one of us until the end of time. Jesus is not back there or over there or up there. Jesus is everywhere and he is with us today. There's an interesting, there was an interesting ad a few years ago in the magazines and the newspapers. It was about a thing called Safety Man. For $99 plus tax, motorists who were afraid of riding by themselves could put this dummy up in the car right beside them. Safety Man uh, would be blown up to be 5 feet 10 inches tall and look like he weighed about 175 pounds, although really he only weighed 4 pounds. The dummy, which comes in a light and medium-dark skin tone, has eyebrows and hair. The more macho models come with mustaches. When Safety Man isn't strapped to his seat, he can be stored in a tote bag, which sells separately for $34 in tax. Barbara Lestrand, who was the co-creator of Safety Man explains, we can create the illusion that we're not alone. And then we have a better chance of arriving at our destination without becoming just a statistic. Easter is the reminder that we have a better option than a four-pound inflated man who sells for $99 who can be stored in a tote bag uh, for for $34. We have the presence with us, even now, even in every moment for the rest of time, of a sovereign, omnipotent God who came down where we are, who faced the most critical issues of life, including death, won the victory over these, and now goes with us everywhere we go. Life is too scary to live alone. We need to all realize and to help those that don't realize it that Jesus is certainly with them. The good news of Easter is that no one has to live even a moment of life alone. To the proclamation of faith on our part comes the response from the resurrected Christ 
Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the age. Matthew 28, 20. Easter is not just past tense. It is also present tense. It's not just about one whom death could not hold. It's also about one who is present with us today. Thirdly, Easter is also about something that will happen. It is future tense. When Jesus abolished death, he not only abolished death for him, he also abolished death for all who believe in him. He has replaced the fear of death with the death of fear. One of the pastor's most significant assignments is to walk with a family through the valley through the valley of the shadow of death. I've done that a number of times this year with many of you that are here today. You're not alone. 150,000 families every day in our country have to face the fact of the death of one of their family members. Death creates a vacuum where once a life was, and it leaves an emptiness which nobody else can ever really fulfill. Death is life's most tragic experience. Jesus knows that because he as well went through the death experience. On that dark Friday, which only in retrospect do we call Good Friday, death did something terrible to Jesus. But on that first Easter, Jesus did something wonderful to death. He took the sting out of death. He took the finality out of death. He took the mystery out of death. When Jesus came back from the grave, he replaced the fear of death with the death of fear. It's not possible, even for a Christian, to look into the darkness of death without a great hurt in your heart. That hurt grows out of a relationship with the one who is now gone, is now missing. But I would add to that truth another truth. It is not possible for us as Christians to look into the darkness of death without hope. That hope grows out of our relationship with the one whom death could not hold. Because he lives, we know that we shall live as well. Whoever you are on this Palm Sunday, whatever you have done, whatever you have become, you can get in on everything that I've talked about this morning. You can experience the presence in your own life who will go with you everywhere you go forward. You can claim this promise for your future which gives you something to look forward to. To that, nothing can take away from you. The key is to accept this proclamation from the past. Jesus died. Jesus was buried. On the third day, Jesus was raised from the dead. And in his resurrection, Jesus was declared to be
the Son of God. Up until that point, so many people said, well, I don't know, you know, he can do tricks, but I don't know, you know, if he's the Messiah. That's a big jump. A lot of people today say, well, it was some kind of fakery. You know, he really wasn't uh, dead. He was just swooning in a swoon. Uh, you know, people say all kinds of things. But when those folks gathered and saw the resurrected Christ, the one that they had seen die, they saw the scar in his side, the nail prints in his hands, they believed. They all believed that he was the Son of God. Won't you do that same thing today? If there's anyone in the house today that has never placed your faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, there would never be a better time to do it than today. There are a lot of worldly people in America today. They don't believe anything spiritual. They don't believe in Jesus at all. But one day... Their self-centered, worldly view will be over. One day, the eyes which were wild with hatred will have to see Jesus as he is. One day, the fists which were clenched against Jesus will be open to a gesture of worship. One day, the knees which were stiff and independent will bow before him as Lord. There will be a time when faith will see what it has believed, and unbelief will have to see what it has not believed. Please, please take this stand today for the risen Christ. I'm going to give an invitation. I'll be standing right down here at the front. If you've never trusted in Christ, we pray that you'd come forward. Just slip out and slip forward. If you're here, you need a church home, you live here, you're a winter visitor, you're here a lot, we want you to have a church home, and we'd love to have you come and join with us. If you'd like to come today and kneel at this front pew and rededicate your life to Christ, that would certainly be fine with us. I'll be standing down here. Won't you come if the Lord... Is, is touching your very heart. Let's stand as we sing together.